0: Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. And there's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind." For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You have created us for more than what we experience in this life. But Father, we pray that You would open our hearts and that You would open our eyes to the emptiness of living life without You. That, Father, You would show us the emptiness of even as those of us who profess to be Yours, of living life as if You are not the ultimate one and the ultimate thing. Lord God, we need You to come and by Your Spirit do some great work in our lives. We need You to show us the hope that is within us that we might live as a people of hope and that this world might see a radical community of hope And that, God, we might be of some good to those around us, pointing them to the eternal glory. The day, one day, when there will be no more meaninglessness, no more vanity, but the day when all things will make sense, and they will make sense forever. Holy Spirit, come and do your work. We need you. You are the teacher. And so come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you saw the movie The Sixth Sense. It's about 14 years old, Um, so I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. But in that movie, there was a little boy who claimed to to be able to see dead people. Uh, He could communicate with dead people. And he came across this child psychologist, and they developed a relationship. And the movie focuses really on the lives of the little boy who sees and communicates with dead people and this child psychologist played by Bruce Willis. And you get a taste of both of their lives. You kind of get attached to both of them. The little boy, uh, because he's so cute, and and he, he gets scared because, I mean, who wouldn't if you're walking around seeing dead people all the time? And you kind of get into Bruce Willis's life because you're sad for him, his marriage is on the rocks, his wife acts as if he doesn't exist, and it's just, you know, you kind of get into his life, and you, you begin to, uh, to make connections with him. But those of us that have saw it, and, and if you hadn't seen it, I'm sorry to ruin it for you, but hey, you've had 14 years, so here we go. Um, the twist at the end of the movie is this. Bruce Willis was really dead, too. And it was not just news to those of us watching it, but it was news to him. <laughs> and he saw his, his wife find his wedding ring under a, 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 under a couch or something. He looked down and he realized he didn't have his wedding ring on. And he remembered then, it had this flashback to a time when he was shot. He was like, oh my, I'm dead. And so everything that I've been living has been a lie. Just a figment of my imagination. King Solomon is known to be the author of Ecclesiastes. And he gets to the end of his life, and he has the same eye-opening experience. He looks back on everything, and though he has done much, he realizes, I've done nothing. <laughs> we we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we see, and what we know about um, King Solomon is that he accomplished more than just about anybody before him and probably just about uh, any more, um, nobody after him has accomplished as much as he did. Uh, he built tremendous buildings. He he built the temple, as we know. Um, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He amassed knowledge and study. He was a king doing a, a relevantly peaceful time in Israel, and so he experienced much wealth and little opposition, and so he could study and he could see the philosophies of the world. He experienced tremendous pleasure. He's, it tells us in um, chapter 2 and verse 10, he said, I denied nothing that my eyes desired. I refuse my heart no pleasure. He was a man of power. <laughs> and he could deny himself no pleasure because he could afford it. What he says goes. What he wants, he gets. There are not many people that don't want to live like that. And Solomon had it. And he comes to the end of his life. You know what he says? Meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. If you're reading out of the ESV, he, the, the translator there uses the word vanity. Vanity of vanities. And he says it twice. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. If you think back on a song that we sang this morning, we said that our God was holy, holy, holy. Why we say holy, holy, holy Because in Hebrew, you don't have an exclamation point, and therefore you have to repeat it to emphasize it. So God is not just holy, and He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And Solomon looks at life and says, it is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Vanity, vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. He says this, that life is just like a striving after the wind. Try to chase the wind sometime. (laughs) Doesn't life feel like that sometimes? Doesn't life feel like that a lot of the times? Do you ever wonder what in the world am I accomplishing? What does it all mean? That's where Solomon is. And you see in the church today we just we think that's a question for the unbeliever, but it's not, friends. Because Solomon is saying this to the church. The, the word Ecclesiastes is, is the word, the Hebrew word that we get the Greek word ecclesia, and from that we get the word church. And so Solomon is speaking not to the world, he's speaking to God's people. And he's saying, You have forgotten that if we just live life under the sun that we're going to get to the end of our lives and we're going to realize it was all for nothing. We're going to wake up like Bruce Willis and we're going to have that kind of experience. Ecclesiastes is not the most encouraging book. (laughs) Um, It starts out in in chapter 1, verse 1, by saying, "...the words of the teacher..." Um, another translation, ESV, says the words of the preacher. Um, that word for teacher, preacher, is the Hebrew word koheleth. And it is, can also be translated philosopher. And that helps us understand a little bit about the book and what Solomon is up to. You see, I like the translation philosopher better than preacher because if this is a sermon, it's the worst sermon on the planet. He gives no hope. I mean, basically, he says that the best we can do is just enjoy what we got. Because it's all going to vanish like that. But that's not what he's doing. You see, this could be the first book of the Bible, and it probably should be for this reason. He is asking the questions that the rest of the Bible answers. He is using the Socratic method, if that means anything to anybody in this room. And, and the, the Socratic method, just the, the kind of the thrust of it, is you you ask the right questions to lead the student to the right answers, and that's what Solomon is doing. He's saying, "Look, I don't want you to live like Bruce Willis, some life in La La Land, and then wake up one day and realize your life is worth nothing." Quit playing games. That's not how to live life. I want you to at least be honest. I want you to be intellectually honest and look at your life and say it all amounts to nothing. And then if you do that, you're going to say, is there any meaning in life? You see, He's pushing us to the utter extremes of of what we say we believe. And to us as a church today, He's saying, do you really believe you have hope? Because it doesn't look like it. You don't live like it. So what does our life look like that has meaning? How do we live with meaning in our lives? I think if we look at this first chapter, we've got to say that real meaning begins with real questions. We've got to be willing to ask real questions. And Solomon gives us permission to do that in the church. This is the place to ask the real questions. You hear me so many times uh, when I, when I, Before I serve communion, what do I say so many times? If you're skeptical about Christianity, please stay here. This is the place that you should feel free to ask questions. This is the place you should feel free to doubt and express that doubt. Because we want to be here to help you, but don't play a game. Don't just act like you believe it. You see, there's no benefit in that. Real meaning begins with real questions. Are you asking real questions? I have lately. A friend of 30 years. He's my dentist, but he's more my friend. I've seen him over the last year, and I know that his back has been hurting, and he's been going to to doctors. He's been to an orthopedic surgeon, and they sent him to physical therapy. And, um, and then when that really didn't work out, they, they did a, a round of steroids. And he kind of found his own uh, treatment. He went and tried acupuncture and some other things, and nothing was working. And the pain got so bad, he hobbled into the ER. And a pain management doctor looked at him and said, You walk like a man whose pelvic bone is broken. And they did a bone scan, and he is eaten up with cancer. He's been going to doctors for 14 months. He is a dentist. He has been married for over 30 years. He has a great family, and now they're selling the family practice. And his life is in real question, and I look at that and I say, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything's meaningless. I think of Vince, another friend, a regional manager for um, a health care or, or medical supply company. He's been the top salesman for the last six years, and I found out two weeks ago that he was informed by email that he was laid off and done. He's poured in six years of his life, and they shoot him an email, and like that, it's over. Meaningless, meaningless. Utterly meaningless. It's all meaningless. I think of Grant, who came to faith in Jesus from A Life on the Streets. He told me recently that he was making seven to $800 a day. He said, I could make as much money as I needed to. Just stay out a little later. He's come to faith in Jesus. He wants to do the right thing. He's turning his back on a life of crime. And he can't find a job. And he's struggling to pay his bills. And he feels like he's drowning And you say meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. So many friends in here are in recovery. And I've watched your struggle and you fight and you give it everything you have and sometimes you slip back into the old ways. And I know you have to be saying, what is the meaning to this? Meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. It has to feel that way. Parents pour their lives into their children only to see them walk away. <laughs> we all pour ourselves into a job only to have it ripped out from under us, only to be treated poorly, only to see a, a younger face replace us or a cheaper person replace us, replace us only to have some, some new technology eliminate the only skills that we know. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Do you see what he's saying? The key question here is in verse 3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? In other words, what is the use to it all? Why try? Why invest myself? Nothing ever works out. It's all a lie. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and that's what they've told me. And I can't tell you how many nights I've looked at my life and I've wondered the same thing. What is the use to it? The psalmist throws it out there for us. Psalm 73. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they even look at God and say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure." Ever felt like that? Well, the key phrase, the key question is, what does man gain from all his tools at which he labors under the sun? But the key phrase is at the end of that that question, and it is, under the sun. Hear me now. What Solomon is doing is he is saying, let's just imagine like the whole world does, that the life above the sun either doesn't exist, that there is no God, there is no eternity, or it's not the ultimate reality. And that's the church today. (laughs) Living as if it's not the ultimate reality. So Solomon is saying this is what life looks like when all you do is live for what is under the sun. You try to look at your life based on what is happening just in this life and on this world, and Solomon says if you do that... Be ready, because you're going to find out it is all meaningless. So what's the use to your life? Is that where you are? I find it so interesting that I see many of us become disgruntled with God. And when that happens, I'll ask questions like, well, tell me what's going on in your life. And, and typically when a college student goes off and he comes back and he says, yeah, I don't know about God anymore, the, the right question to ask is, okay, who are you sleeping with? <laughs> you know, You're not going to know God when you're living as if under the sun is the reality and not above the sun. And adults, do you hear me? Do you understand why God doesn't make sense to us so much? It's because we cut God off at the sun and we just interpret reality based on the circumstances of our lives. And when we do that, we move in directions we should never move. And we live in ways we should never live. And then we blame God because He's not real to us. It's because we're living life under the sun. So you've got to ask the right questions. Am I really living for God One who is above the sun. Then secondly, we've got to consider the real answers. If you're willing to say, I'm just living for under the sun, then you've got to understand that your life is not really going to matter and you've got to be honest about it. It's kind of like a treadmill. I have spent untold hours on treadmills. I don't know how many, I've, I've run hundreds of miles over the last 25 years on treadmills. I've been on those old school ones, you remember them, you're running on them and you think the whole thing is going to fall apart. I mean, they're so rickety, you're kind of doing this. And I've been on the newer models with the TV screen and kind of the, you can act like you're a like video character running through different you know, landscapes or you can surf the web or you can watch a movie. or I mean, unbelievable. I can run, or I have run six minute miles and I've run 10 minute miles. And you know what I found? It doesn't matter how fast I run. It doesn't matter how many years I've run. It doesn't matter what the model is of the treadmill. I get nowhere every single time. <laughs> I make no progress on a treadmill. And that's what Solomon says life is like under the sun. And because of that, the world tells us, and, and most of the world is willing to admit, yeah, there's no God. This is all we've got. And so there are three basic ways that, we, that, that the world has given for us to address it. And the big names, if you're into these, are uh, the humanistic or humanism approach or the hedonistic approach or the existential approach. And if you're not into that, just forget ever ever said it and just listen to these definitions. The world says this, okay, humanism, that's kind of midtown. All right? Man, yeah, we're on a treadmill, but let's eat right. You know? Let's take care of ourselves. Let's make the world a better... Let's work on this and work on... Let's plant a garden while we're on the treadmill. I mean, let's... When we leave, the world's going to be better than it was before. And you know what Solomon says? Not only will it not be better, it won't even remember you were ever here. That's the humanistic approach. But then the hedonistic approach, sorry to say it, but that's kind of downtown. We say, "Well, there's no meaning, but we're going to have fun along the way. <laughs> Give me Memphis in May, you know. Give me, uh, let's, let's start out on the river, listen to music for 24-7, you know, for, I don't know, three or four days, and then let's eat our barbecue, and let's, oh yeah, let's celebrate some country. Nobody ever knows what country we're celebrating, but, you know, (laughs) let's have the Crawfish Festival, let's go to Bill Street, let's, let's just have fun, or, uh, you can also disguise hedonism in the way of, you know, let's find satisfaction out of our work. And we as Christians do this a lot. You know, I'm going to make my difference in the workplace and we go to work. You know, and we enjoy our work. And man, we've got to find another job. I'm just not enjoying it anymore. See, hedonism. Work was never meant to be something you really enjoy that much, this side of heaven. And then you have the existentialist. And the existentialist is uh, kind of East Memphis. I had a hard time... Uh, labeling that, but if you ever saw the movie, man, I'm bringing up some old movies. I'm probably the only one in this room that's seen these movies, but Dead Poet Society, and you have to watch that movie now. If you haven't seen Dead Poet Society, you're not a real human, you know. Um, one of my favorites, and it, it, it Robin Williams is a professor in an all-boys school, and at one point, he brings the boys out. I mean, you know, they are they're students. They don't care about learning. I mean, what student cares about learning, you know, when you're, you know, in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, whatever. And so he takes them out in the hallway to try to motivate them. Because the, the, the student sitting in the classroom day in and day out, he's always asking the question what's the use? Is there any purpose to this math? I don't care about pronouns, you know. Well, he takes them out in the hallway, and he shows them the, the trophy case, and there are all the people that went before them. And he kind of points to all the awards, all the people that made a difference, and then he says this. He said, they're all pushing tulips up out of the ground, something like that. They're all dead. But lean in and listen. The boy's like, what? dude's lost his mind, but they do it. And he starts whispering, carpe diem, carpe diem, seize the day. Why? Not because of the glory of God, seize the day because it's all you've got. Seize the day because you're going to be dead too one day. Leave your mark, leave a legacy. Admit that you're just going to die and your body's going to be food for the ground, but be bold enough and take courage and get out there and do something. Wow, a lot of hope. Well, does it really matter which approach you take? if you're on a treadmill. Yeah, man, I'm on a treadmill. I've got a Harvard Ph.D. and two million in the bank. I've got a third grade education. I've got no job. Guess what? Neither one of them are going to get anywhere if all you're doing is running on the treadmill. Are you willing to, to admit that? You know, people come to me, and I, I really, I, I've, I have announced this, that I don't want, I don't want this just to be a um, evangelistic thing where we just go find people that need to hear this message. We all need to hear this message. But I will say this: I would love for those that are skeptical about Christianity to hear these messages. Why? Because the it, 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 people that that. Are just pure hedonist or humanist or existentialist people that say there's no God. This life that is all that's matter, all that really matters. Well, let me say this: it takes more faith for you to go out this door and live a life than it does a Christian. And yet the world is always looking at the church saying, "I just don't know how you believe that." Well, we need to look at the world and say, "How in the world, if if there is no God?" And there is nothing above the sun. Would you at least have the have the the um, the integrity to say that your life means nothing? Because it takes a whole lot of faith to say anything else. Are you asking the right questions? It's all meaningless. Man, I got to get to the good news. I've got so much more down, but I can't take it. Let's get to the good stuff. For life to have real meaning, which is where Solomon is leading us, you've got to embrace the real answer. Is there any meaning? Tim Keller just wrote a a new book called Every Good Endeavor. Go get it. Awesome book. Um, If you work, if you're a student, if you're alive, you need to read that book. Um, And in the, the preface or in the intro to the book, he tells the story of J.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit, which is a newly released movie, as well as The Lord of the Rings. And I had never heard this before, but it took Tolkien about ten years to write that story. And the reason is because he had to create about a thousand years of history and he had to create several languages, <laughs> you know, fictitious languages. And so he's working on this, and he's working on this, and he's trying to make this credible storyline that is going to be lasting and so forth. And he gets to the point in his life where he looks at it all. He's been working for 10 years, and he says, he has this, he's overcome with this reality of, well, what happens if I die before I finish this? And he just is paralyzed by that. And he can't finish it. And one night he has a dream about an artist who is trying to, spends his whole life trying to paint the perfect tree and the perfect leaves. And he paints and he paints and he paints and he never feels like he gets there and then he dies. Now, if Tolkien were not a believer, it would have, the story would have stopped there and he would have turned to some type of hedonistic, humanistic, or existentialist answer. But he's a believer. And the dream goes on. He gets to heaven. And he, he, he's so excited. He's in heaven. He, he starts walking down the road, and he stops. He's stunned. But what does he see? His tree. And it's finished. Everything that he's been longing for. Everything that he's been working toward. All that feeling, I'm just not there. I'm just not there. What's the use? Why am I still going? There's got to be some purpose of this. He gets to heaven, and it's done. And what we see from that is what we saw on Easter... And it's this whole reality that because of the resurrection of Jesus, because Jesus died and went into the ground, but came out of the ground better than he was before. You hear me? You see, Jesus went in the ground and he came back out, but his his resurrected body, man, he could like show up in rooms, and yet he was still physical. I mean, he could tell Thomas, "Touch me, put your hand right here." He was still eating. It was better than He was before, physically speaking. He was a redeemed, resurrected Jesus. And if Jesus is going to be completed in resurrection, how much more do you think we will? Do you understand, dear friends, that everything that you're doing and you're wondering if there's any meaning to this, it's going to be completed in glory? Do you understand that if you're not married yet, you just wonder, what is the use? I just can't go out on another date. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of even asking God. Or you don't have children, or you don't have a job, or you're... whatever it is that you're struggling with. You've lost relationships, whatever it is. Do you understand that the hope of glory is this, that it will be resolved? That there will be completion that it will be good. And do you understand that if you really believe that, then the world would look at us and say, what is wrong with those people? Because they can sacrifice so boldly. They can give their lives away. Why? Because they don't believe that this is it. They believe there's something better. They believe that there's life above the sun. And dear friends, we know that that life above the sun is not heaven, but His name is Jesus. Jesus didn't say heaven, is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the reason heaven is so good is because I'm there. And so all meaning has to be wrapped up in this whole reality of Jesus. And isn't that what we read? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's agreeing with Solomon. Life under the sun is pointless. So when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the same that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Do you hear that? How do you get through this life? that is meaningless and tough and hard. You stand firm looking ahead and saying, one day this perishable stuff will be done, but I'll be clothed with imperishable. He goes on, that's not even the thrust of it. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's that word again. Vanity, vanity, vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Your work in the Lord as Christians is never in vain because there's a finished tree for you one day. That your story will not end in this life. It will be completed. Now go out and stand firm and, and, and don't be moved. Oh, it's so beautiful. This is the distinctive nature of the Christian life, dear friends. The fact that Jesus was was the one who went in the ground and He came out of the ground. And we are united to Him. That means that we can die today, but even when we die, we really haven't died, we've gone immediately to Him and one day we're going to be united to bodies that that are just going to be beautiful. And we're going to know what life is at that point. John gives us the, the, the whole... Answer to Solomon in John chapter one. He says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word there is really the Greek is logos, logos. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. And then in verse verse fourteen, it says, "...and the logos um, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, his glory, the one full of grace and truth.'" Jesus is the essence of life. Do you know why people love, people that love Chicago Bulls basketball love Chicago Bulls basketball? It's not because of what they saw in the last few years. Why do people love Chicago Bulls basketball? Michael Jordan. He is the logos of Chicago Bulls basketball. (laughs) Do you know what the Logos of the business community in Memphis is? I mean, what one company, if they left, Memphis would just be destroyed? What is that company? FedEx. Logos of our community. Dear friends, Jesus is the Logos of life. And when life doesn't make sense to you, and when you're drowning in despair, it's not because he is not meaning life and hope. It's because you're not thinking about life in light of His meaning, life, and hope. You're not translating what you're experiencing in the realities that God became man and lived among us and He lived under the law for you and that He went to a cross and He was cursed by His Father in your place so that now there is no condemnation for you. And then He was raised so that one day we might be raised too. I'm telling you, if you're a believer in this room and you are depressed, you are downtrodden, you are skeptical, then you have not been meditating on those realities. Bring Jesus into the center of the reality of, of, of how you're feeling and let His truth, His eternal truth, dictate how you feel. That's how we live the Christian life. Paul says it in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. What? You're rejoicing for what you're suffering? And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church." I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now to disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is the glorious riches of the mystery of God? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. He is your reality if you're a believer in Jesus. Your life right now is not the reality turn your back on the suffering turn your back on all the emptiness and say no you will not rule me my Jesus rules me because he is in me he is my hope of glory he is the down payment and that the the very reason that I can trust that one day someday there will be no more death there will be no more crying there will be no more pain there will be no more joblessness there will be no more addiction there will be no more of, of nothing bad because I will be with him and everything will be complete you are in me and that's the biggest reality above the sun and that's the biggest reality that's going to define me under the sun. And so I ask you, do you have that reality? If not, do one of two things. Admit that your life means nothing or come to Jesus and let it mean everything. Because in Him, Everything means everything. Outside of Him, everything means nothing. So come to Him today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You that You are alive. (laughs) Thank You that this life is not all there is. Thank You that this is just a momentary time. Oh God, would You unclutch the the grasp that we have on this world and would would we put that clutch on You? Would we hold tightly to You, seeing that You are holding tightly to us and nothing can separate us from Your love, not life, not death, not trials, not health, not anything. Lord, Jesus, pull us high into You that we might live a life of purpose and hope even in the face of the curse of this world and the sufferings and trials of this world. May we be the redeemed community of God who believes that our hope is Jesus inside of us. Would you give us that gift today, bringing to faith one who never believed it before. But Father, encouraging all of us who say we believe, help us in our unbelief. And we give you glory. And we do so in Jesus' holy name. Amen.